SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. All of you, right now! Stand fast! Come now, Lord Den. Gandalf the Grey. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We are wrapping up our look at Peter Jackson's live-action Hobbit trilogy with The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Came out in 2014. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shirky. With me is Thrasher. Good morning. How are we all doing? I've got a wee proposition for you, if you don't mind giving me a few moments of your time. Would you consider just sodding off? And Alex? It's only been three films, and yet I feel like we've gone on such an unexpected and very, very, very long journey. That's certainly true. I think with length, it might be one of the longer movies we've done. Yeah, uh, Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, you know, this is... uh, we mentioned this before way back, I think, in the first episode, but originally this was going to be one film, and then they split it into two, and then they decided to split it into three. And with the way uh, Peter Jackson films big um, fight scenes where it's kind of like a football match with the teams going at each other, you know, he he, he does that kind of epic scope, and this has battle in the title. Um, although I, I kind of wish it would have had, I think originally the title was going to be There and Back Again or something. Or a more, I believe you're right. Yeah, where that um that's the name of one of the chapters it has more you know significance but of course it's not you know it's kind of a boring title for a movie i get that and uh even though i I like in the poster uh on wikipedia here it has martin freeman as bill bill with with his dagger stain uh, pointing towards the user but in the movie he's like unconscious a lot for for the part of the battle and so forth which happens in the book took directly from the book yeah no no it's it's funny um but it's just sort of kind of the, unexpected. The, the poster's oh. kind of like, like I look at it, I'm like, okay, I'll see the movie, Martin. Put the sword down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks kind of more, uh, I don't know, trying to, almost like a Rambo pose. He, he looks all, all dirtied up and, and pretty intense, and his the hair is all matted. It's, it's not uh, nice and coiffed like you expect from a good old hobbit. Yeah, and, right. Um, What's interesting about this film is, you know, uh, Ian Holm is in it briefly at the end. And this was his final film, as it turned out, although he didn't pass until 2020. And Christopher Lee, this was his final live action role, although he did voice acting um, until he passed the next year in 2015. Because with voice acting, you do all that stuff. (sighs) Excuse me. Way in advance and, and so forth. So we are looking at... This film, I think, you know, I, I saw this by myself at the same theater. I saw the second one at, and I took great glee uh, in the end of the movie as a bunch of the characters die. I was just laughing at how this little boy in front of me with my dad, he keeps on tur- or with his dad, he keeps on turning to his father and says, I don't like this movie as the characters keep on uh, dying. And I thought well, that was very, very funny. Thing amount of violence and gore for like a PG-13 film, it really shows what you can get away with if the people being dismembered and having their eyes gouged out are anthropoid but not specifically human. Well, yes, and also the color of the blood is a weird uh, thing that goes with it. So Yeah, you can get away with showing all the violence of the world as long as you don't show any of the consequences of that violence. Right, <laughs> Just I mean, like what... responsible filmmakers should. Exactly. Thanks, MPAA. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, the the extended version of this film is rated R, and it, there's not that much more blood, but... Ooh, excuse me. But what you see is more red, and you see more, like, decapitations and, and so forth. So, there you go. It's just uh, just one of those things. But let's keep on going here. Um, what are some of your initial 
impressions of the film. Uh, Alex. So uh, this is funny, actually. Way back when Pulp 365 was a thing, when I was just kind of a budding little uh, cineast uh, film reviewer, this was like, I think, the third theatrical review I did. And um, so I went and saw it in the theater. And uh, it was funny because the uh, movies I had reviewed previously then were the rebooted Ninja Turtles, um, the second Sin City film, and then this. So I kind of had this like rep- I felt like I had this reputation of like the guy who hated everything. <laughs> so, like three mm. movies were not so great. Um, but yeah, it was also again like even the poster, even the cover, it just kind of felt like a chore. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, I guess we have to see the third Hobbit movie because we made it through the first two, and there's supposed to be one movie now. It's three movies, so it just it just kind of felt like a slog. And I think that like. One of the things a movie should never be as boring with all the slam bang action decapitations and battles and goblins right. and orcs. This is still a pretty yawn horrific flick, you know? Well, I'm going to pull an Ebert and, and disagree with you. <laughs> like, I was never bored watching this film, but I was very tired. Th- this movie in particular just throws into sharp, uh, sharp relief exactly how oddly paced this trilogy is. Like, the. Like even even like the battle with uh, Smaug that opens everything that really should have been how the previous film ended. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we get there into this like this big start, you know, huge set piece, and then we get some like Lake Town retribution, which is a hey, better late than never, I guess. Um, like like the battle the battle with Smaug happens, and then the movie starts. <laughs> I know, yeah, and it's like it feels like an extra slap in the face because, like you said, it would have been that would have made desolation so much more of a rewarding experience and then here it's kind of like hey remember this this is how it should have ended okay moving on yeah let's like we can start the movie now right and then maybe maybe have a shot of of the the villagers and and everyone kind of going apart from the burn village and like where do we go now and uh have a throwaway line about like the ark and stone of the doors is like look we can see our ancestral home just there in the distance and kind of do like a yeah and, and just like end there, and that would have been fine, as opposed to Bilbo popping his head out of the cave, going, "What have I done?" <laughs> it's just such a slap in the face. Just really, really dumb, dumb stuff there. Um, yeah. And, and um, oh, the other thing too is that like you get this. Uh, it's like a pre-credit sequence to like a Bond movie or something. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, quick little slam bang action thing, and then like the credits. You know, <laughs> it just yeah, it just didn't gel. Well, like a Bond movie, I think sometimes those sequences are better than the whole film. And I oh, think totally. that's the case with this. I mean, it, it does get a bit Super Mario with him jumping around and trying to shoot the dragon. But <laughs> it has a lot of action. It has a lot of the scene of the, the dragon falling down and dying, I think, it is well done. And it, it has some urgency, which a lot of the other film uh, doesn't. Yeah, it was. Um, it felt like they were trying to do a thing. Because remember how like, Return of the King starts right up where we left off with two towers and i felt like they were trying to kind of like try to recapture that essence a little bit you know that like hey you know thinking on your feet get going right from the start and it just was like oh we're doing that thing again uh whatever thrasher well just the, like the the smog assaulting lake town it's one of the better sequences of the film one because we give a damn about Lake town and there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff going on in that sequence between people trying to evacuate the Lord of Lake town, you know, trying to get all of his riches out of town and dealing and dealing with his lackey and just all, all the, all the awful things he's willing to do to get out of Lake town with his money. <laughs> uh, and like, it's just that we care about this place. So every building that gets burned, like it, 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 it pains us to see it. Um, and and just the fact that the, that it that it escalates with with Bard and his son on top of that crumbling bell tower, uh, getting like and and just their their variation on how he fires the black arrow, just like using an old an old fashioned bowstring improvised between some support struts on the architecture, balanced on his son's shoulder. It's it's just really nice. Like it's it's almost a little movie in and of itself, and I. While there is action uh, that comes later in the movie that I think is is as intense as this, there's no action in this film that we care about more than this. Mm, definitely, and I think I think that's the letdown. Like we 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 will never be more invested in the violence on screen than we will be when it's the dragon attack. Sure, 
Um, and, and it also reminds me how much it would be cool if it was a gold dragon. <laughs> like, I'm still kind of disappointed that Smaug just kind of shook off all the gold in the end of the previous films. I know. It's like it got splashed with water. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm wet now. <laughs> Never like, mind. it's even then, it's just like perfectly poised. Like, some people, like, gold starts snowing from the sky, and everybody comes out, gold, gold, come from the sky. It's a miracle. And then yeah. dragon. Yeah, there's so much mileage you can get from that concept. You know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go off, off page, might as well have a little fun with it, right? Um, yeah, that would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah, and one of the many documentaries that come with the extended version, uh, Peter Jackson says this is the first movie in the series he felt like he was having fun with. Because mm. he could just kind of, I mean, a lot of it was kind of winged and, and made up on the spot. They did have a script, of course, but he he plays fast and loose with what's happening because I think this is literally like the chapter before the final chapter in the book. It's There's not much in the book, and in fact, the whole point of the battle is to show the futility of war, and you know, all these characters, all the dwarves get creamed, pretty much. And, and while you do get the deaths of those characters, there's so many of them, you don't care as much about them. Um, I mean, geez, all, all that stuff in the beginning with, like, Gandalf and Galadriel fighting kind of the Nazguls and stuff that's pretty similar to the material and smog. They're just kind of giving them busy work. <laughs> well, the, the one thing I've noticed, especially in, in this, in this trilogy, because, because even, even in the books, Gandalf doesn't go popping off with too much magic, but he's always there in, in action scenes. And Gandalf, particularly in this movie is just straight up a martial artist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, there was, um, like you said, like uh, Jackson was said he had, like, this is the one he started having fun. And while, like, fast and loose, I'm putting quotes up, fast and loose is the term. This feels more like, like, slow and loose. (laughs) Like, I just, I I don't feel any, I don't feel a whole lot of momentum in these, in the second and third films, and more so in the third one. It's just kind of like. Here we go. Some more dwarfs. Some armies. Some battles. Now, hold hold on. When you say some more dwarves, there are some more dwarves led by the immortal Billy Connolly. Well, and what's playing the cousin, uh, is it Dane? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Dane. And uh, because at this point, Billy Connolly was um, diagnosed with, oh, gee, was it like Parkinson's or something like that? he had decided to pretty much retire from acting, but he, you know, his character is entirely CG because I, I don't think the actor could do the, the, the movements. Uh, they, they really needed him to do and all the squatting and all these things. So uh, I think the CG is well done, but it just kind of really stands out because all the other people aren't CG. On the other hand, you have Billy Connolly playing a sort of pissy dwarf and, and it's a great actor and a fun performance. I think it gives a bit more character than some of the other dwarves. Well, it, it's it's a CGI character that works. That he has so he has he has so much more personality than virtually every other character in this film, and it's just a treat. I'm a big, longtime fan of Billy Connolly. I remember watching him back when he was on uh, was it Head, uh, Head of the Class that that sitcom yeah. about yeah. the about the high school, or like he's he's just great, and it's just wonderful to see him. Um, but also, you know, he's also just like the most fantastical because not only does he play this fully armored dwarf, he's a fully armored dwarf that rides a giant pig into battle, and yet it all looks so natural the way the way he's integrated into the environment, the way he moves, the way he interacts with the pig. It's just it's just delightful. And yet, you know, so much is made of this battle. I mean, there's this ridiculous scene where the the orcs are threatening them and going like, "But we got the the giant worms," and you see these worms pop out of the ground eating a Techni- boulder. Technically, from the book. Uh, technically, yeah, hey. and they they look like the dune sandworms, and I'm sure there's no accident. And yet, there's no payoff. You don't see the worms in the battle, and it's like that would have been nice. They're just there to dig those tunnels to deploy the troops. Then I guess they go back yeah. into a holding pattern. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too is that like if you look up um like still shots from this movie and just thinking about it, like there's just no like color i mean the, yeah obviously it's color it's a color movie you know there's shades of gray and brown and earthy tones and stuff but like i, I, I i'm trying to like recall scenes and i'm just kind of like recalling scenes of like 
gray orcs and brown sand and dirt and a mountain and like you know there's just no like uh, there doesn't have that sumptuous earthiness you know that was so uh that was so like you know palatable with uh, the the hobbit or the two towers or you know fellowship but i hate keep going back to the fellowship trilogy and two towers and return of the king but they're just it's like you're getting the essence of this really awesome thing and you kind of makes you miss it all the more you know what i mean well that's because the earthiness is in lake town and it gets burned down in the opening act yeah also i guess like lake town too while it's a good set there's a lot of good, you know, set design and everything there. A lot of the big scenes take place at night, and, like, yeah, I just don't really, I don't know, it's kind of bleh, kind of bland. I just, did you guys it's feel at, that at all? Yeah, it's at night. The armor is, like, silver. A lot of it looks kind of desaturated, not to the point of, like, a Zack Snyder film, but kind of veering in that direction. And it just kind of makes everything kind of mush together. Um, I, I mean, one big change I'd like to point out in the extended cut is... Uh, recall the character of Alfred, Alfred Lickspittle, the assistant to the mayor. With a name like that. I know. So, I so in the theatrical version, I believe he like dresses like a woman and kind of like scuttles off. But in the, the in in the extended oh, version, yeah. in the extended version, there's an extended sequence that Gandalf is involved in with the um, the humans are trying to defend their their new town, kind of in the middle of these ruins or something, and he gets like a big. Um, Oh, what do you call it? It's like the uh, Thrasher. What's the name of that big giant monster they fight in Fellowship of the Ring? Oh, the Balrog? No, it's it looks like a big goblin or something. This huge the troll. The troll, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there, there's a troll that's in this village, and and Gandalf makes the troll fall on top of uh, Alfred and squish him. It's a nice kind of like payoff uh, well, for that character. Know- they make such a meal of him and his just sniveling villainy. I was surprised that that in in the in the cut I saw, he just kind of runs away dressed as a woman with like stolen gold filling his yeah. boobs. Like that was such well, a weird yeah. ending for the character. Like I can only assume that I guess I guess in the theatrical cut, well, I guess his punishment is that he has to continue being Alfred Lickspittle. Right, that's that sounds like punishment enough. But yeah, seeing as like so much of the series is like about like the dangers of greed and coveting, you know, it's kind of funny that he just kind of gets to ride off into the sunset with his like coin boobs. Although speaking speaking of greed, though, they they really make a meal out of uh, out of Thorin and his like gold madness, the dragon sickness. Oh yeah, yes. and call Rock. it the dragon sickness over and over again, and you get this weird shot where he finally snaps out of it. But I do like what an asshole Thorin becomes. Where he's just like they're they're looking through that hole in the door, and he's just uh, not having any of it. I, I think there's something interesting there, but it maybe that would have made more sense in the last movie. I don't know. Like it's they make such a big deal of like the Ark and Stone, and and I mean this part is from the book, but Bilbo steals it and tries to give it to the elves, and gets kind of told off about it. It's um, that that doesn't quite work. I mean, I think you're trying to, to pay off something. Uh, and I, this is called the battle, and you're kind of wanting the battle to start. Yeah, then we get there, and it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to count them <laughs> off, you know, and you're like, okay, so there's one, two, three, ah, whatever. Uh, the title says five. I'm going to go with five. There's probably seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Well, you could count the dwarves as two, perhaps, you know, and yeah, I think okay. there's, there, there's two groups of orcs. Um, or the fifth, the eagles. Like I don't know. Like it, what, even in the book, it's kind of muddled. But twice the army. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, I mean, with the battle, it just kind of goes on and on and on. And once you've seen one, it feels like you've seen them all. Well, they're uh, always moving from set piece to set piece, and the nature of the battle kind of changes. Uh, you know, in 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 each one. Although I, I though I will admit, I really did like the final showdown between Thorin and Azog. Yes, I think that gets better. I mean, the extended version, the battle was even longer, believe it or not. And some of the dwarves mm. like go on a sled and uh, are, are ch- chopping heads off, and it's bloody enough that it gets no rating. Although it's not that different from what we see in the movie, truth be told. But yeah, I mean, at the end, it's a neat sort of. 
again, mainly different from the book, if, if that matters at this point, but you you have some of the characters kind of bouncing around in these crumbling uh, stone things, and then there, there's kind of the final showdown with Azog on the uh, ice on the icy well, that, lake. That, yeah, that was bit cool. where like Azog is like floating under the ice. Mm-hmm. And then later, when when and you know he's still alive and he's still attacking, and then eventually when he dies, just the way they have his blood kind of dye the ice red as it slowly moves down the frozen waterfall, that I thought was very nice. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, also it's like, what do we have here? Like two characters that are developed and they're yes. thrown down in a conclusion. They're stakes, cool. Whereas <laughs> it's like all the other fighting. It's like I feel like they just take a main character, give them something to twirl or wave around, and then everyone else just falls around them. They have to and stop like a how... blue light. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a martial arts scene with no martial arts, you know. But it's like. It follows the same pattern, like main character does something extravagant, everyone else falls down. And then they just kind of keep coming and coming and coming. And then there's like that giant fucking moose thing with like the freaking ash frame. Michael, that's very convenient. That's cool, I guess, whatever. And Legolas uh, is gravity defying. Legolas is Legolas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's pretty uh, Legolas. Yeah, he's pretty great. I found out. I found out what I because because my wife and I both felt that Legolas was off in this film, and I felt Legolas was off because he didn't have uh, <clears throat> excuse me he he uh, he didn't have a dwarf to play off of, mm, and he didn't have a he didn't have a Gimli. And then my wife yeah. thought it was off one because he's clearly aged, but two they give him this weird eye color in this film that isn't in the original trilogy. I think maybe they're trying to get them to match the other elves. I, I think what threw me off is the actor gained weight, which, I mean, of course happens when people get older, but it just sort of threw me off, or his face looks different, or maybe he had Botox, or I don't know what it is, but he just looks... Yeah. It, it's supposed to take place before, and the elves are supposed to be ageless, and, like, I almost would have... I mean, the crazy thing is Peter Jackson also wanted, like, um, OG uh, actors like uh, Vigo Mortensen and all these people to come back, and most of them said no, like, what are you doing? It's the Hobbit. It's a bad idea. But, um, I'm honestly shocked that they didn't find a way to work Golem into this movie. Yeah. I would, yeah. You could have done that, and I think it could have worked. Um, because there, there's stuff in, in the radio play where it's like uh, Gollum gets gets kidnapped and gets tortured to where they learn where the Hobbits are and these sort of things. Um, you could have tied that in loosely, but... And the weird thing, like, as long as this movie feels, at the end, I kind of wish it took longer for Bill Bill to say goodbye and to go home and all that stuff with uh, him with his uh, thing full of treasures. That feels kind of rushed. Well, it did. you know, it's funny. I do kind of, because as much criticism as The Return of the King got for having too many endings and being too long, I liked that every major character got a little epilogue. And I wouldn't mind seeing the same thing here. We spent so yeah. much time with these characters. I would love a little epilogue that puts all of their stories to bed. Yeah, because, I mean, like like you said, there's a lot of criticism in the Return of the King's ending. And while, yes, it is long, but you got a lot of shit going on. <laughs> we have a lot of things to, you know, unpack. We have a lot of characters yeah. to, to, to visit, you know. Whereas here, it's kind of like we've got our dwarves. Some of them are dead, right? I don't remember. Um, yeah, some are dead. Yeah, Bilbo goes back, and then like I always get excited when he goes back to his Hobbit hole. I'm like, ooh, like green. I might yeah, be right. like a freaking hippie or something. I don't know. I'm like, ooh, green stuff, color, oh, something interesting although, to look at. I love when he goes back. He's been gone just long enough that his community assumes he's dead. <laughs> so they're auctioning. They're auctioning yes. off his stuff. Although I'm wondering. Yeah. Like who gets the money from the auction? Do, can if you're if you live in Hobbit Town, can you just set up an auction in front of someone's house and collect all the money? There must I be a council that decides on that, right? Right. I don't know. And but I mean, this is from the book too. They don't get into it so much, but I mean, it, I think it's a funny uh, detail. And uh, at the end, you know, we do get to see the old Ian Holm. Although it's a shame we don't get to see Elijah Wood again. I think that would have been nice as a kind of way to, to was... cap it off. It was a it had good flavor in the in the first Hobbit that little mm-hmm. scene. I, I thought that worked really well. 
Um, but yeah, it's like once we get back to, I'm like that, that, that was the most exciting part for me. Not just cause I do the movies ending, but just because I just like the set and the whole vibe. And I think just hanging around that stupid mountain and that goddamn battle is ugh, mm. ugh, like, Oh, get me out of here. Oh, we're back in hot. You know, <laughs> it was cool being back in Hobbit town, you know? I, I do like the, the song at the end, the last goodbye by Billy Boyd. And we get to see the kind of artwork as it does the end credits i think that oh, part nice. all oh works well and um yeah who knows but i mean after all of this the uh all this stuff all these rights went back to the tolkien estate and we got a big uh big amazon series that's gonna cost half a billion dollars for the first season uh <laughs> right. taking place in the second age which is before uh when the hobbit and lord of, the lord of the rings take place which is in the third age and uh, so it's taking some stuff from the Cimmerillion and going to expand on that. Um, I don't know if the show will be good. I imagine it'll look nice. Uh, and I don't really recognize any of the cast that they've announced. And I'm sure probably the filming and all that was delayed by uh, COVID this past year. So, yes. Yeah. Um, well, if it's good, you can bet that it will be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> streaming has Look finally at- matured as a platform it now cancels good stuff and gives crap a free pass but i'll give you a pat it'll give you like enough just to drive you a little crazy we'll get like two good seasons you know <laughs> and then we'll get like a weird one and then it'll be canceled yeah and, and, and it'll the fun- end on a cliffhanger that, that begs for resolution uh, yeah exactly i mean yeah american gods got canceled in season three and stars and it's like they're not even quite done with the book yet and it's like come on i keep hearing about that too i hear that's great i need to watch it it's good, uh, but it doesn't have an ending. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I felt with Deadwood, but that's a whole. Other I've heard it's good, then bad, then good again. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's fair. And you had you know different showrunners each season, and there's all these crazy behind the scenes things. And but um, Crispin Glover, I think, is is good. Uh, Ian McShane is very good as Mister Wednesday. But in regardless, I mean, back to Hobbit: Battle of the Five Armies. I, I do think because you get some closure here and because you, you get some fun moments in, in, in the battle and uh, at the beginning of Smog, I think there's enough good sequences that I like this just a little bit more than uh, Desolation of Smog. So I will give Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies a sequel, yes. Well, you know what? This movie has Radagast. So, mm-hmm. like, is as is, is much... As as I said, I was never bored watching this as, as sort of bloated and unwieldy as it is. <laughs> like it it's right up where I gotta give it a sequel, yes. Cause like I was sufficiently entertained uh watching this film. And it and it's so strange because like so so often when there's a movie based on a novel and the movie diverges from the text, it's often in a way that makes you wonder. Did they even read the novel? And yet this one, every time it diverges from the text, it diverges from the text in a way that makes me realize, oh, they did read the novel. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, like you know, the worms, you know, uh, and the Frodo seeing most of the, or Bilbo seeing most of the battle, but then being knocked unconscious and missing the rest. You know? <laughs> See, I think I would have responded to, like, the other, like, if they made the movie without having known the material then just went gonzo instead of like referencing something else like instead of doing this one thing that was in the book have like fucking someone box a fucking kangaroo i don't know um, <laughs> just something more you interesting. Box the kangaroo young hobbit yeah i know right or like a freaking juggling contest i don't know um you know what's yeah. also so weird uh this film, it only got one Academy Award nomination for Best Sound Editing. I feel like it deserves a little bit more. Hi, I'm Steve. And I'm JP. And we host a little podcast called Whatever, Whatever Nerd. Nerd. A bi-weekly nerd culture podcast where we talk about subjects such as games, comics, movies, voice acting. And did I mention games? You did. Join us every other Tuesday at whatevernerd.com. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh boy, I can't wait for Future History 101 today. I hear Prof. Timesworth is going to teach us about World War VI. Gather round, students. It is time to learn.
Podford University, where history and future are the same class. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. Well, this was not the cultural event that Return of the King was. I mean... Hmm. Well, true. I mean, well, it just shows what a hollow yeah. exercise the Academy Awards is. Right, <laughs> and this, it, as we're recording, you know, it's going to be uh, on TV today, uh, later today, yeah. on April 25th, and they had to change the rules to allow stuff that didn't air in theaters because of the pandemic, but I, I think once that genie's out of the bottle, and it should have been long ago, in my opinion, it, it's going to be hard to put that back in. Um, I mean, to, such an arbitrary requirement that a movie has to play in a theater once in a calendar year um, kind of means nothing anymore. Uh, I mean, if that wasn't emphasized in the past decade, then I think 2020 is really going to, you know, <laughs> hit that home, hit that point home, you know what I mean? Exactly. So I would, but yeah. Um, so did everyone give their rating then? Oh, um, if it wasn't already pretty obvious, I mean, yeah. once you, when you put in the work and it's good, you know, whatever. And I know that a lot of work went into this and at the end of the day though, I just, I couldn't really interact with this film in any way. I just, I, I didn't really feel any connection to it. And like all the love in the world for middle earth and Peter Jackson, he's a terrific filmmaker. Um, these just kind of the, the second and third ones were just kind of have felt hollow. And I really, I just I, I can't really remember stuff that happened. I'm just kind of like there was mm-hmm. a battle, a dragon, duh, 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 Lake Town, gold boobs, and yeah. Um, so sequel, no. Um, okay. And also behind the scenes notes too, like so much of this was basically this like kind of like grudge match between Bob Shea of New World Pictures and Peter Jackson, where I think we talked about this on previous episodes, but yeah, where um, Peter Jackson got stooped out a lot of uh, money from the original trilogy. And there was a lawsuit between New World and Bob Shea was like, you're never going to do another New World picture again. And then they got Peter Jackson back. So like a lot of this just kind of feels like it's definitely cash grabby, but in like kind of like an ironic way, because it's Peter Jackson kind of getting his comeuppance that I think, you know, he does deserve money, obviously, totally you know, changed, uh, changed new world pictures around in the two thousands. But, um, it's just kind of ironic that so much of this is about like greed and coveting gold and stuff mm. like that. And the sure. overall trilogy is just kind of this like low hanging fruit cash grab thing. So those are my thoughts. You said new world, you meant new line cinema. Did I say like, new world? Oh, wow. Yeah, you didn't. Uh, I think new world's a Roger Corman. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just watching the big bird cage. <laughs> oh, there you go. Nice. Um, so, you know, we're not going to do pitch a sequel because these are all based on books and so forth. Uh, but going on to what you're watching, um, I watched something that I think we'll talk about next week because it'll be the movie we talk about next week. But I saw a bit of I saw the new Mortal Kombat movie. What a coincidence. So did I. OK, so we'll, we'll save the discussion for, for next week. But if you have HBO now in the United States, you can watch it for a month before they take it off because it's they have this simultaneous theatrical release thing. And um yeah, I have I have thoughts on that, but I, as far as something I can actually talk about, I will say that I have seen. Oh, what is it? I I, I saw a bit of this um, documentary on HBO now about the uh, the QAnon. Oh yes, the end of the story. Ah. Into the storm. That's it. Thanks. It's, I've seen about half of that. Yeah, it gets really complicated, uh, but I find the information easier to digest. than there's like a, a few podcasts that kind of talk about it, and it's so much information thrown at you to see it in documentary visual form. I found more easier to understand. But like it, it's what starts as as people kind of trolling on like 4chan and 8chan turns into something that. Um, Killed a lot of, you know, police officers and almost resulted like in the, the vice president getting murdered and having the, the um, people, you know, uh, overthrowing the, the nation's capital. And Pence seemed pretty blasé about the attempt on his life. Yes. Yeah, he did. I mean, he's like blasé about everything. <laughs> well, he, he keeps the urges down. He eats a lot of Dr. Graham's crackers. Uh <laughs> Yes, and calls his wife mother. There's nothing. Um, maybe That's... Psycho is his favorite movie. I don't know. I mean, that detail is what creeped me out the most. But um, yeah, it's 
that it all started from just like kids like trolling each other is, is kind of maddening and I think there's more you can say about that than just I mean you could probably link uh, things of like Gamergate and all these kind of things to it as well which they kind of mention but it's um it's an interesting journey it's just really technical and it was I watched a few episodes in a van I didn't like it so much and I could kind of see why it, it either really appeals to you or it's the most bland thing in the world um, but that they were able to capture it as it was going on more or less I think was pretty impressive and actually talk to the people that wanted to show themselves on camera that's what surprised me well, I think I think everybody behind this wants to be famous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, you get that sense. Yeah, like it, it must be it must be infuriating to have all this influence, but to only have this influence because people don't know who you are. Right. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Oh, I I I treated myself. Uh, I got reaching all the way back to 1962. Uh, Directed by and produced by Robert Aldrich, screenplay by Lucas Heller, based on the novel by Henry Farrell. I watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Yes. Oh boy, have you seen it in a while, or has it been oh, a long time? Oh yeah, I had. To, I, I, actually, the first time I saw it, it was in a theater. It played at a revival oh, screening okay. back when I back oh, when I lived fine. in Virginia. And. But it just, it just, it still, it still holds up. It's just great. And there's just so many, so many things to appreciate in, in every viewing. Uh, also, this was the film debut of uh, Victor Buno, who you may remember as King Tut from the Batman uh, series yep. from the 1960s. It's just, it's just so great. And like no, watching it now, I know more about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and their relationship with each other. So it's just great to see their smoldering contempt for each other on screen <laughs> and filming their performances. Uh, so great. And like, way to go, Bob Aldrich. Like, this guy was a machine. He cranked out a lot of good flicks from a lot of different genres over the years. Film noir, westerns, war movies, uh, these thrillers, you know, these psycho thrillers, Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Like, that, that Baby Jane is, it always holds up, man. There's, there's a reason why there's such a cult around this film. Oh yeah, yeah. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a camp classic. It's a suspense classic. It's, it's a classic in so many ways. And, and like, even the camp stuff, it works so well. I don't, I, so if for viewers, if or listeners, uh, or, or, you know, people absorbing this podcast in a tactile fashion, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but all, all you really need to know is that Joan Crawford and Betty Davis play sisters who are in show business and it kind of covers their whole life. We see them first when they're children and the Betty Davis character is like this precocious baby schnooks kind of star of the vaudeville <laughs> stage and is kind of a brat. And then when they grow up, Joan Crawford turns out to be a brilliant actress and she has an amazing film career while, while the Betty Davis character, Baby Jane, her film career languishes. And then a tragedy strikes and we jump forward to the present day, which at the time was the 60s. And... And uh, I just and, and that's all, all I want to give you. Although something else that I love about this that it really touches on that I realize I don't know if I've ever really seen referenced in movies. Part of what drives this movie is that Joan Crawford is having a career renaissance because all of her films have been repackaged and sold to television. And that's that moment where classic films were repackaged and sold to television in the fi late 50s and early 60s had such a huge impact uh, on American pop culture, particularly with the horror movies that were kept in circulation because of that. I think this is the only movie that, that I, I've ever seen that's ever addressed that in any way, even though it's something of a background detail. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, if you think about, like, programming now, like, remember when, like, HBO would get a new movie or something, or CNN would, you know, they would play the same movie, like, four times a day, and you just get worn out. Could you imagine programming back then when you had so little material to call from, you know? So they probably, you know, you probably had Mildred Pierce on, like, four times a week, you know? Um <laughs> You're right. So you probably have this like crash course of, uh, you know, of Joan Crawford's old, you know, a lot of old classic films from the studio era. Well, and because it's, of that, a lot of people of that age when, you know, TV in, in the United States, at least, you know, only had like two or three channels, really. Um, and so much of it was this kind of older vintage programming. They're a lot more familiar with um, films of the, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s, perhaps, and, than they would have been otherwise. It had, um, 
you know, studios not kind of put these things in syndication packages on the cheap to, to air on television. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the movie's black and white photography is, is great. And I, it, but what it reminds me of is it's not terribly recent, but, um, a while ago on RuPaul's drag race, they, they always kind of have him do a little short film as one of the challenges near the end and it was sort of a, a spoof on whatever happens to baby Jane and a lot of the contestants were young and had no idea what happened to Baby Jane was. Which is, like, wild to me, given the camp factor. And, well, like, you know, and in the gay community, how, yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge. Uh, but I think it, you know, some people know their history and some people don't in it on that show. And it, it shows and it's not to their uh, advantage, especially because RuPaul is getting up there and, and the judges are older and. They have their frames of references, and uh, the younger people have theirs. And they're, you know, they have a thing instead of match games called snatch game. And and sometimes the younger people want to do like YouTube or Instagram celebrities. And it's like, well, the judges aren't going to know who that is. Yeah, <laughs> that you're making fun so, of. But um, well, yeah, so, yeah. Of course, the people who want to do Instagram celebrities probably don't know what match game is. Yeah. Right. True. True. Yeah. That, that's fair. Um, I'm seeing a letterboxed review right now of whatever happened to Baby Jane, and it simply reads, I bet Ivanka Trump twerks to have written a letter to Daddy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, um, oh, God, that song ooh. takes on such sinister tones in, in oh, that movie. Boy. You, you yeah. know, you know, I, I think what it's it really is strange, but like Star Wars is a dividing line. Like you either you either have watched films that came out before Star Wars or you haven't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Alex, what have you been watching? Um, I I watched something I haven't seen in uh, probably since I was a child, um, and that was you guys are gonna like this, uh, The Secret of Nim. Oh, okay, Don Bluth. Oh man, this is such a crackling, kick-ass, engaging, beautiful to look at movie. I, you know, so much of uh, the subtext was way over my head as a kid, you know, I was just like, oh, cool, mice and rats are fighting. That's that's cool. Um, all the scenes of them being injected and you have, like, the, the foreground of these bubbling, uh, uh, you know, potions or whatever. It's very creepy. Yeah, it's like, it, it's like an elaboration of the story of Watership Down in so many ways, but you have mm-hmm. these fantastical elements and these, like, alchemy and all this other stuff and just, like, the, the allegory to, like, you know, modern science and stuff like that. It's it all lands really well. I was like really knocked out by it. I thought it was a really wild flick and the voice acting so good too. I mean, Elizabeth uh, Hartman is so great as uh, Mrs. Brisby. Um, Dom DeLuise doing the, uh, the crow there. Yeah, that that was awesome. Um, I was, I'm a a big fan of Watership Down. I I watch it pretty frequently and I was like, Oh, this is a little familiar. I'm like, Oh, this is actually like, taking it taking this this kind of theme you know of like an other animal world and and just kind of really running to the end zone with it in a very successful way i just thought it was such a such a great film i was eager to rewatch it even even potentially check out the sequel um oh also i believe i believe this was the last film of john carradine you're right yep yeah he plays the great owl Mm. Yeah, and, um, I think that's a rule Joe Dante came up with, uh, is that if something has um, John Carradine in it, it, it is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's certainly, it's not necessarily good, but it's worth watching, and he's usually exactly. pretty good in it. And, yeah. Oh, and this is the, this is something that, so when uh, when Matt and I were in college, I attended a screening of Secrets of Nim, The Secret of Nim, hosted by Don Bluth, and oh. one of the things he talked about is that the owl, the owl has this really pronounced limp. And the whole reason the owl has this really pronounced limp is that when John Carradine came in to record his lines, you know, he he was in very poor health at the time. Th- that was the limp Carradine had, and, oh, wow. and and it just added so much gravitas to Carradine coming in as this this you know aged symbol of old Hollywood that he really studied his motions to try to reproduce that in the animation. Very cool. There's, I mean, the um, it's based on a, a book called um, like Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, and they recorded with that character called Frisbee, and um, the executives were concerned that the people that make the Frisbee toy were going to sue them, and they didn't want to pay to have the actors all come back and re-record their lines, so uh, manually with the, the soundtrack, they had to use a razor and kind of cut it off, and they could make it sound like Frisbee more or less. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, actually, uh, it was my understanding that that a toy manufacturer actually did threaten to sue. <laughs> okay, so whoever owns that copyright, but um, there you go. But yeah, no, I, I wouldn't mind watching that one again. Uh, and you mentioned you mentioned Watership Down. Have you ever seen the Plague Dogs? No, but I want to. That's the other weird giant. Mm, very, rabbit. very creepy. Very, very uh, dark. Yeah, yeah. That, it looks awesome. That's the. So when the uh, Neo goes to the Oracle, is that the movie that's playing in the Matrix in the background? I don't know. Uh, there's some weird movie with giant rabbits playing on the TV oh, screen. Oh, no, no. That's a Night of the Lepus. Thank you. Okay, Night of the Lepus. All right, cool. But I still need to see Plague Dogs because it sounds with, great. With Bones McCoy from Star Trek in it. Oh, that's right. Divorced Kelly. There you go. All right. Well, let's do the sequel scene. Why don't you set the stage, Thrasher? All right. So this is, remember how we talked about Thorne being a jerk? Yeah. Uh, This is is early on in the film. It's the beginning of Thorne becoming uh, a jerk and going mad with the dragon's disease. So it's it's him trying to pressure all the dwarves into finding the Arkenstone. Okay. And who, what character do you want? I would like to do Thorne. Okay. Let's see. Who else is there? Band Wallen and Ballen. I will be. I'll be Dwallen. Okay, I'll be Ballen. And then can you read the <laughs> stage? Balen, Ballface. I don't know. Uh, Thrasher, <laughs> can you? can you read the parentheticals as well? Y- yes, yes, I can. Okay, go for it. Do it with Thornhoken Shield, staring at the space on the throne where the Arkenstone, Arkenstone would be. It is here, in these halls. We have searched and searched everywhere. We all want to see the Arkenstone return. Thorin seethes. And yet it is still not found. Do you doubt the loyalty of any of us? The Arkenstone is the birthright of our people. It is the king's jewel. Am I not the king? Know this, if anyone should find the Arkenstone and withhold it from me, I will be avenged. <laughs> I love Matt, Matt sounded like uh, like like when they pull the cord on Woody. You know, like, there's someone mm-hmm. poisoned the water hole. <laughs> <laughs> there's a snake in my boots. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's um, quite something. All right, so... With that, um, next week we'll be looking at the Mortal Kombat reboot called Mortal Kombat, although the actual tournament is not in the film. I'll say that much. Um, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> I think that'll be interesting to talk about. Way back, we talked, uh, or Thrasher and I talked about Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So to see this kind of latest take that's been in development forever. Hey, that can is, we talk? Can we talk about the Mortal Kombat rebirth that didn't get made, but they did that big elaborate teaser trailer for? Yeah, sure. We can with Jerry Ryan, TV Seven of Nine. Oh, that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, they did these kind of like YouTube short film things called Legacy that was meant to have three seasons, and three seasons were filmed, but they only released two. But yeah. Huh. Uh, do you have any background with Mortal Kombat, Alex? Do you have any thoughts going into it for oh, next yeah. week? Um, I've, I've played the hell out of the games, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I remember the movies, I haven't seen them since they came out, though, but one thing I always gravitated towards was Robin Shu, the guy who did Liu Kang, put out mm-hmm. this killer documentary called Red Trousers, all about Hong Kong uh, stuntmen and, you know, a lot of the stuff going on in Hong Kong action films, so of course that's like my wheelhouse right there. Um, so yeah, Red Trousers is like one of the, is a really cool offshoot to happen off the popularity of those movies. And that, that actor, uh, Robin Shu was also in Beverly Hills Ninja. That's right. A, a movie that Chris Farley kept turning down because it was nothing but fat jokes. And then they offered him over a million dollars, and he just had to take it because he'd never seen that much money before. Wasn't that yeah. his last film? No. I think it is. Oh, no. Oh, really? His, I mean, the last thing that he was filmed in was dirty work in a small scene but oh the last yeah. movie of his to be released was it wasn't wagons east i don't think because that was the last john candy one but it was um was it heroes or almost heroes almost heroes that's it yeah 
with the, the guy from Friends. But yeah. A uh, funny bit of trivia. Robin Shu has a tiny, tiny, tiny blink and you'll miss it bit part in um, Johnny Toe's debut feature, The Big Heat. Johnny Toe, director of the election oh. duology, which we covered on the sequel cast, too. Bam. There you go. Yeah. And he also was um, has, a, has a small part in Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Oh, yeah. Cool. Hey, that means we can do Street Fighter, too. That technically uh, has a sequel. It's, yep. it's true. Not to mention all the anime stuff. There's a hilarious Japanese anime called Street Fighter V. Um, I think V is for victory or something. It was way before Street Fighter V. But there's a scene where Ryu and Ken are such friends. They swim in their swimming pool naked together. There's a lot of um, amusing homoeroticism in there that I don't know if it's intended or if there's some cultural thing I'm missing. But it's uh, they're, they're super best friends. Yeah, super best friends. That's a good, good way to put it with my cats using the scratching post. That means it's time to end the show. So um, on SequelCast, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And you can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. So uh, next week we'll be talking about the 2021 Mortal Kombat movie. It um, It's interesting the cover has Scorpion and, and Sub-Zero when... Um, I'd argue they're not really the main characters in it, but we'll... Well, they certainly are not. No. But we'll uh, get to that. <laughs> and on YouTube, the first seven minutes are by far the best part of the movie, in my opinion, but... Um, and yeah. speaking of covers, <laughs> did they do, like, a mopey, dopey cover of, like, the old song, like, Mortal Kombat? Um, they, they, they do a remix of it over the end credits. It's pretty neat, but uh, what some uh, uh, website had a pretty good article. They tracked down the guy who shouted, Mortal Kombat! <laughs> and it's actually a sound clip from the commercial when the game came out on Genesis. <laughs> and he only got paid for it that once and never got paid for it when they reused it over and over again in the oh, songs. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but um, anyhow, yeah, so it's 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 inter- it's interesting with all the characters and all the history, how they how they do it. I'm excited to talk about that next week. Um, so for sequel cast two, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. Same. No, look, look, here's my name on a contract. I am very much not dead. Don't wear the ring. I know it's very tempting. <laughs> I don't rap about bitches and hoes. I rap about witches and trolls. Oh, witches and trolls. I am a hobbit. Oh, just like a hobbit.